Hello there, everyone. Welcome into the Roto Fanatic Podcast. Yes, we're back. We haven't been on in a couple weeks, but we just did a mock draft, and the playoffs are over. We figured, why not jump in, check in, talk about baseball, fantasy. 2021 is right around the corner, believe it or not, and we're ready to talk offseason, hot stove, playoffs. Oh, man, a lot going on here, and uh, it's good to be aboard. I'm Michael Govier, your host. You can find me at MJ Govier, G-O-V is in Victor, I-E-R, on Twitter. And, of course, I'm joined by three of the best in the business on the Rota Fanatic family, Matt Williams. Matt, where are you and how are you? Hmm. I'm pretty good. I am in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on a road trip right now, but coming to you to talk some baseball. I am so happy the season is finally over as a Mets fan, obviously. Hopefully we get a new ownership that's going to spend some money, and apparently no one else in the entire league plans on spending money. Everyone's getting released. <laughs> Yeah, uh, hmm. JT Real Muto in your dreams. All right, uh, Paul. No, 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 thank you. Hard pass. Oh, hard pass. Okay, interesting. Uh, Paul Mominos here with us. Paul, how you doing, man? Uh, did you enjoy the playoffs? Are you excited for the off season? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely enjoyed the playoffs. It kind of uh, it's kind of a disappointing way for the it to end for the Yankees for me, but uh, it was fun to uh, actually watch some some players break out and some stuff really kind of happen that we never. We haven't seen before. I did actually like the uh, condensed format, though. Um, I don't know if anybody else kind of liked the no off days thing, but it feels weird to not have sports anymore. And I guess football is tonight, but it feels weird to not have baseball. So I guess 2021 prep starts. Yeah. And I, I actually love the playoff format. I love I, I, I know a lot of people like the one game playoff. I know I hate it. I think it's a dumb way to end 162 game season. I know it was 60 games with just a one game. I think three games is good. I love the three-game little series. Those are pretty cool, but, uh, yeah, I love the playoffs. Well, Carm Mayorano probably has thoughts on this, and he is also with us. He is the third man in the booth, the fourth man. In the- We're a four-man booth today. That's what we are. We're like uh, that way-too-crowded sports broadcast team that's like, dude, we got too many people in the booth. But we have so many opinions, and there's so much to talk about that we want to get our best and brightest on. So, Carm Mayorano at Carm's Clubhouse. What do you think of the playoffs? Well, did you enjoy the format? What's up, guys? Yeah, I really enjoyed the I really enjoyed the format. I enjoyed no days off. However, I do think for the ALCS, the NLCS, we need at least one day off in there. I didn't really enjoy the bullpen days. Um, might be a different story if the Rays had Yanni Trinos or Brendan McKay available. But given the fact that we're not seeing everyone's best arms every day, at least for a game, maybe even two games, it's not ideal in my eyes. Uh, uh, quickly, uh, can we talk about what's everyone's thoughts? I got to get the Blake Snell thoughts. Let's go around the room real quick. Matt, Blake Snell, I mean, is it just too much second guessing now? What do you think? No, I mean, there's a lot of information. Connor Kirkon did actually had a really good thread about this. It came down to a couple of things. Uh, statistically, they made the right move. They actually like had all the different data out there where pitchers that go through a third time, it just doesn't work out. But the problem is, I think, and especially in the playoffs where there's no tomorrow is game six. There's not going to be another time. Um, I, and again, it, he was, Snell was dominating. And then some people say, all right, well, you know, there's no guarantee he was going to continue to dominate. He probably was going to get worse going forward, but it's the world series. Big moments happen. The biggest problem I had with it was they went to Nick Anderson, who was set the major league record for worst was it seven consecutive games, getting yep. up a run. Uh, yeah, you can't, you couldn't go to Nick Anderson. So I think that was the biggest blunder of the entire thing. I wouldn't remove Snell uh, personally, just because I think he just, if a guy's cruising that much, I mean, they even interviewed the Dodgers. They were laughing. They're like, thank God you took him out. And I mean, and that pretty much tells you all you need to know. Hmm. Paul? 
I mean, I was kind of getting into it with Matt a little bit online, but uh, it sound I, I understand why they did it, and I kind of agree with you, Matt, that the biggest problem is going to Anderson versus Snell. But, like, I, I mean, and multiple people have pointed out, you can go back to literally four days earlier and the sim, similar situation, and Snell was definitely more dominant this time around than he was the first time, but he went, what, walk, home run, walk single, something like that. So, like, yeah. There's no guarantee we're gonna second. We were gonna second guess what, no matter what happened, right? We do the same thing with Kershaw. Kershaw's been left in way too many times, over and over again in the playoffs, and that's where half of his problems come from. So, I mean, I understand why the Rays did it. The Rays did what they think they were supposed to do and what they've done all year. And I'd rather someone, you know, do it with conviction rather than kind of push into peer pressure. So, I understand it, but I wouldn't have gone to Anderson. Yeah, maybe more than any sport, maybe football, but the decisions and the second guessing of those decisions is part of the game. That's what the crowd gets to do. That's what we get to do as analysts and fans. It's part of our experience watching, especially in world series games and Carm, We know that Blake Snell only threw 73 pitches, but we also saw him the whole season, basically just always go five innings. And he's also had the injury concerns that he was coming off of. They're thinking about a lot of things that I don't think a lot of people in the moment are thinking of as well. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the injury concerns shouldn't really be there in a game six of the World Series. He did throw his lowest or his slowest fastball of the night to the previous year. So to me, if you struggle against the best lineup in the league for the third time, you take him out, I guess. But you don't go to Nick Anderson there, as Matt and Paul said. You probably go to Diego Castillo if you're going to do that move. But then it's like, what do you go to in the eighth and the ninth when they turn it over that probably that final fifth time or uh, fourth time? That's where the decision gets even tougher. So I would have left Snell in myself. Yeah, I think it comes down to you're taking if you're taking Snell out, you're doing it because you think you're giving yourself an advantage. But you went to a pitcher who most decidedly and and most likely was going to give you a worse chance of succeeding. And yeah, that's the biggest blunder. You you went, I mean, because a lot of people say small sample sizes are bad, but baseball, especially managing is a field game, especially when it comes down to one game at a time where, you know, if you have a hitter who hit a home run in his last three at bats, but he hit 100 for the season, you're not thinking of the 100 during the season. You're thinking of this guy just hit a home run in his last three at bats. You're not going to pinch hit for him. Snell was cruising. Anderson's been bad. It's just, you gotta, you kind of have to throw out certain things and just be like, "This is probably a bad decision. You just can't do it." Agreed. Agreed. Oh, you. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was gonna say that you know, Saris had an article on come out about Anderson that showed that he had his career worst movement and velocity um, at the later end of 2020 and in the playoffs. So that line, that your your point, Matt, completely stands. It just doesn't doesn't make any sense. It see it makes no sense. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at roto underscore fanatic. That's where you can find us. We'll be having all season information, all season. Well, it's a season to me. The all season is so all season long as we. I sound in- like Oprah there. Hey, you get a car. Hey, you get a subscription. To- no, we don't have those things. Uh, I will tell you this. I'm excited because we got a mock draft to talk about. And I want to remind everybody, the reason you follow us on Twitter is because we'll be talking about Hot Stove. Uh, well, real quick, I'm really curious about this. I got to ask you guys. Let's go real quick around the room. Winter meetings. We didn't have COVID last year. Winter meetings are a big deal. Uh, does anyone have a concern about there being winter meetings? Or even if it's virtual, not being as uh, 
big a deal because you know how much happens at winter well, meetings. I think people forget the winter meetings. The actual purpose of them is for like young professionals to go and get a job. It's actually a job fair. That's kind of the real purpose of it. Like people are getting together. They're filling, they're filling vacancies within their organizations. Um, the, the fact that it's a big hub for trades and things is just because all the GMs happen to be in the same building at the same time. Um, so I would expect there to be no winter meetings this year. The, the job thing will just be done virtually or however they're going to be done. And I think that there just won't be a hotbed of one week of activity like there usually is. Instead, there'll just be a drawn out um, series of transactions just kind of dribbled in from the uh, from now until like, you know, February. I just think that it's just going to happen in a really weird way. I would expect maybe a lot more things to happen before the week of the winter meetings, maybe this year. I think just in in general, I don't think the offseason is going to look anything like it because I think you're going to see a lot fewer trades because I think teams are going to be a little bit more concerned with and, and maybe, you know, the fall leagues and things like that change it. But you have a whole every piece of information you have on prospects is about a year old now. So I think that unless there's ac uh, access to that kind of stuff, I don't think we're going to see nearly as many trades and things like that. I think teams are going to be working a lot more internally with what they have versus, you know, going out and adding new players. That's too bad. I feel like the winter meetings are a fun time. And you're right, Matt, they are a, a breeding ground for new opportunities and for people to make moves to fill vacancies in their entire organization. But uh, I think the winter meetings still serve a purpose, especially for free agency more than trades even still. But, you know, I could be wrong, and maybe it won't be that big a deal if there is none. Uh, Carm, what do you think of this crazy yeah. winter meeting stuff? Yeah, I'm going to offer maybe a slightly different take. So I feel like in the normal winter meetings, there's so many rumors, so many things that might happen, and we all discuss it, and that is obviously super fun. But this year, I'm thinking that there, there might be less rumors and, you know, actual transactions happening, like hopefully quickly. Who knows about that? But we could actually dig in on like what happened instead of like what might happen if this person goes here. We'll have more time to digest what it actually means for a player to go to a team rather than one guy maybe going to 12 different teams. Hmm. OK, well, hey, we'll look forward to it. We'll see what happens. It's a hot stove time on the menu in November. One of my favorite times of the year, usually, but with COVID. And the owners crying poor, we could be in for some unprecedented uh, lack of action, possibly. But let's focus on real action. The Rough and Act mock draft that we did in October, we had all of us participate, including many others. Shout out to uh, Roto Nino, or, you know, George Montanez and uh, Davey Lou, Deegs, Ben Wilson, uh, Mr. Dr. Carter, Heath Caps. Uh, many guys participated, and uh, we want to thank you all for joining us in this mock. Let's talk first round, gentlemen. And you can also share your overall strategies as I go to you if you'd like. But the first round is where people get, you know, people love first round talk. It's intense. And people want to argue about players that are fantastic, which to me is not even that big a deal because, oh, I got Mookie Betts. No, I had to settle for Juan Soto. Oh, what a bummer, you know. But, hey, let's go with it. Our first pick overall was Mookie Betts, Ronald Acuna, Soto, Trout, Tatis Jr. was our top five. Matt. Tell us about your overall thoughts and your first round. Um, I, I took the uh, we we I kind of decided to take the twelfth slot in this just because I wanted to see where the turn went. The overall thoughts in the first round is it does not matter who you get. Um, the only decision you can make is if whether or not you're going to take a starting pitcher because that really shapes up the rest of your draft. But I just I feel uncomfortable not getting stolen bases in the first round. 
did last year, will this year. And not that, I mean, Mike Trout, Juan Soto, they're fantastic. You can make an argument for them to be number one overall. And if I was sitting there, um, you know, in the three, four, five spot, you, you just got to consider taking them. But I think Betts Acuna, uh, Turner, Tatis, Story, J. Ram, Yellick, who I ended up taking, I think you, I think that's kind of where you should go. Um, in my opinion, but you know, it's uh, overall, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's just, uh, you're, it, it's, there's not going to be a lot of variation in who goes in the first round. It's going to be basically the same 12 to like 14, 15 guys that are going every single draft. Yeah. And it's important. I should mention, this is a 12 team Roto standard five by five, just for the record. So you can follow along. And we also posted the results on our Twitter page. So you can look for that. If you want to look at it while you're listening to the podcast at the same time, the first pitcher off the board was Shane Bieber at number nine. That's a little fun fact. He beat out DeGrom, who was third, and that went to Carm. So I want to jump to Carm here. You took DeGrom, and you must have been loving it because you had the 11th overall pick. Yeah, having that 11th pick was tremendous. I mean, my goal there was to either take Yelich, Ballinger, or the third starting pitcher of the cream of the crop up there with Bieber, Cole, and DeGrom. Was really happy to see DeGrom fall all the way down. I was kind of surprised he wasn't picked one or two in the mid rounds, but I'll happily take him at 11. And then being able to swing around and get Bellinger in early second, I'll sign up for that all day next year. Assuming there's no DH in the NL, like they're saying, I think they'll work it out. Is there, I mean, is there any excuse not to have DeGrom number one if there's no DH? No. I mean, I, don't I think, think so. Like, I mean, he's my, he's my one with a DH, but um, I just saying without a DH, I I just can't imagine there's a reason to not have him one if the, if they end up going that direction. It's recency bias, man. It's people see what they see what they see recently, and it's also a mock draft. We, let's be honest about something about mock drafts. I took it seriously, even though I had some auto picks. But <laughs> people, people, when there isn't money at stake, mock drafts people will play around a little bit more. I wonder if there's like a thousand dollar prize would. The first pitcher have been DeGrom if the, uh, we had this draft to do over again. I'm not sure. I mean, I, th- I think we – and again, I, I think the Mets are going to be better, but we still have to take into account that he, he hasn't been able to rack up win totals. And I know wins are fluky and stuff, but it's becoming a trend with him. I don't know. I, I agree with you that he's probably the best for ratios. He's still old when it comes to Ks and stuff like that. But unless the Mets – and they've invested in the bullpen, it just hasn't worked. They keep blowing games for him. The team somehow doesn't score for him. I don't understand what the problem is, but I, I don't have an issue with taking either Bieber or Cole before him. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to make fun of anyone to their yeah. face or anything about it. Right. Oh, ironically, the Mets scored like double-digit runs for a couple of DeGrom's last starts, uh, which was which was very weird. And it was when he was bad, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was well, bad. He wasn't him. <laughs> Still all star, just not yes. Yes, my young. Um, yes. But yeah, the the, the DA, that's the big thing that I, I think will change the, a lot of what the draft happened because you have you have Cole and Bieber in the first, which I don't know if necessarily they both go in the first. Bieber probably still will. Um, maybe you, you swing into the two round turn, but then in the second round, uh, you had uh, you had like Bauer, Darvish, Giolito, Castillo, Bueller, Nola. If there's no DH, that will severely change up the order you know especially later when you get into where Flaherty Lamette Gallon went as is you know in comparison to like Maeda Snell like you know I just think that'll really you know dramatically shift up some things maybe um yeah go ahead sorry yeah I was gonna say so one thing that I kind of found interesting was that Bieber did go at uh what is that eight where like and maybe it's a 15 team thing that I'm thinking of but last year if I had five at this time 
it would have been no doubt that I was taking a pitcher for me. It was there was a clear top four hitters, and then it was the pitchers. And I think this year the offensively, that might just be because we have more of a sample for them. I think that the offense is better. The first round talent in the offense is is stronger um, than it was last season. Just giving a you know initial impressions, and then I think that that second round is kind of loaded with those question mark pitchers, which is where I think we're going to kind of see that most second rounds are going to be filled with arms where you might've had a few guys take arms early and not as many, you know, most people through two might not have had a pitcher. And I think if you're not taking a pitcher in the first two rounds, you're really risking it because I think if you get out of there, it gets so confusing. Like you can hit on some really good value and, and probably make out really well if you hit, but from rounds three on, uh, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of daylight between a lot of people. Like I can, I can make an argue between pitchers taken in the third and pitchers taken in the ninth where I could easily see them falling in any round in between as far as the end result, not saying that they're going in the wrong order now, but there's just a coming off the 60 game season. You have so many guys like Lamette coming in and, and performing well, Corbin Burns. Um, you know, it's just a lot of weird pitchers in that, in that range that can so many, so many things can go right or wrong in that, in that range. But Matt, well, we'll get to Carmen just a second here. But Matt, you yourself in this mock draft, you took no pitcher in the third round, and you didn't take a pitcher in the second round. You took Scherzer at the top of round four, so that worked for you, right? Because you believe in Scherzer. Yeah, the the turn is weird. The turn is weird. Uh, so I'm sitting there. Uh, I was hoping Degrom would somehow fall to me. I, 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 I you know, Carm took him obviously, uh, but Bieber, Cole, Degrom, I would have taken. Uh, after that. Uh, I didn't feel – Darvish is actually my next pitcher up. I didn't feel comfortable taking there. But you, Christian Yellick and Freddie Freeman, you know, first base is not very deep. I mean, well, it's deep in terms of mediocrity, but, I mean, it changes up so much. Freeman's the only guy I personally think you can truly 100% count on. And I think, like, who's the who's the first – who's the second first baseman? Like, freaking Abreu? I don't even know at this point. It, could, but, it might be Bellinger. With, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bellinger, depending on, I guess, uh, yeah, eligibility and everything. But, yeah, um, yeah, Bellinger. (laughs) Well, but Bellinger and Freeman there, I think uh, you get a pretty good advantage taking one of those two if they have first base eligibility. And then we came back and Alex Bregman is available at the end of the third, which I just think is too much. I mean, I'm not ignoring 2020, but, you know, he he was someone who's just constantly on the rise um, some of the red flags I looked into where maybe the cheating and trash cans could have helped. Bregman didn't seem like someone who had been that helped out by it. So it's just end of third. I just think that that was too much to pass up. I, I almost maybe double tapped like Scherzer and Flaherty there, which would have been fine, but I decided to take Bregman and I took Scherzer as my SP one. Uh, but I did proceed to take three starting pitchers, uh, in a row at that point, I took Scherzer and then Ryu and then Plesak. So to my own point is probably a mistake. Um, if those things don't work out, I could be in trouble, but you know, I do feel confident in those three being pretty good values there, but yeah, I would much rather have uh, locked down a pitcher, but if you're at the turn, I don't think you can necessarily afford to, uh, because if you're, if you take a pitcher like Darvish or a Bauer or Bueller Castillo there at the turn, you're probably giving up a lot of offensive value. So I think at the turn, you usually have to reach, right? You, you, at, a, at a certain point, you got to take the guys you want. But early, reaching is just a waste of value in the first, second, third, fourth round. So I think you kind of have to take value if it falls to you, and that's just kind of what happened to me. All right, Carm, you have the floor. There's a couple things you want to comment on here. Let's hear your thoughts, too, because I think, I think what Matt did was fine. I have no problem with it whatsoever. 
Yeah, I mean, the way I thought about it is like DeGrom is definitely my SP1 going into next year. I'm not sure what I unveiled uh, on our last podcast show. I hope it was it was one because he's definitely going to be my one. <laughs> um, the way I see it, like DeGrom's like worst year outside of injury. Like I see him finishing as like the SP3 as his floor. Whereas with Bieber and Cole, I could see them dropping, you know, down into like SP7, 8 range, you know, if they're depending on their year. So with the Grom, like having that first round floor, just that safety is just so important. That that's kind of the the trout at one argument, right? Right. The same right. the same same exact argument, but it's just for yeah. a pitcher. But like Matt, go on go on your staff. I think if you are going to wait that long, you have to kind of do what you did. And you know, later on you took Frankie Montas, you know, Corey Kluber, David Price, we're we're getting late into your picks, you know, outside of the three you talked about, but that's a lot of variance in that pitching staff right if scherzer comes back to scherzer if plesak is as good as people think he is if montas returns to what we saw in 2019 that's a good pitching staff so i think if you are going to wait you have to take more chances which you did a good job of so i think that there is a way to build a good staff that way it's just it's definitely going to be a lot riskier than some other staffs yeah definitely risky i mean scherzer i'm banking on health and talent yeah um, his first, you know, his last year, full year, he did have the highest strikeout rate of his career. Um, Ryu and Plesak, I'm, I'm pretty confident. Montas, he showed some, some, some um, resurgence at the end. But then, yeah, after that, David Price, I was excited what he could have been this year. Maybe, uh, you know, having a full season for a guy like some, some people, it's bad for a guy like him. Maybe he could use the time off. And Kluber and Brad Keller at the end are just kind of dart throws. Uh, if they don't work out, you know, you, you, you move on. <laughs> so uh, at the very end for a team like me, rather than taking like a Masahiro Tanaka type, which would have been a fine kind of person to take or a John Means, uh, for me, it made a lot more sense to to take maybe a shot on Corey Kluber and striking gold. Because uh, I could have, at that point, I needed to strike lightning rather than just take something that was a little safer. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. I kind of think that like I was saying, I think that's you've built a staff pretty interestingly. Interestingly enough, and we can kind of this is just a side point, but I actually think there's a lot of upside in means because he was really good towards the end compared to, um, you know, yes, compared to Tanaka, there's not much upside. Um, Tanaka is a guy that's pretty low upside, but I, I actually think means has a lot of room to grow, but that's a that's a different argument. Oh, I didn't mean to attack means, but <laughs> no, no, I, I'm just saying, like, I, I think that he's a guy that there is upside, and um, but again, like Kluber is the same kind of thing. Um, th- there's some late pitchers that for your staff, it made more sense to chase upside rather than chase floor. Matt didn't mean to take means. So I'm sure that's <laughs> what he, that's what he said. That's we got to believe him. I'll tell you this. This is the road fanatic podcast. We're talking about our October mock draft. Paul Bamino, Carmarano, Matt Williams, Michael Govier. I took trout at number four because there's no better peace of mind than Mike trout. I'm fine with trout at four. I couldn't be happier. I'm, that's great. I can live with that, and I can move on with my life and focus on other things. You you got uh, a ton of stolen bases too with Robert and Anderson in the third and fourth round. So yeah, the, um, the concern of Trout is no stolen bases. So you definitely and Robles, you accounted for that pretty well. That was my yeah. That was my goal, just in case the Trout stolen base days are over, which I don't necessarily believe they are. I, you know, twenty twenty was weird, and he had a kid and a lot of things on his mind. I can't prove that, but we'll see. I don't believe necessarily. I still believe he could do at least 10 steals next year, which is not great necessarily, but it's something. And like Matt always says, I, I've always followed the same protocol. I want a lot of guys that can at least give you some steals, even if 
it's just the whole roster here and there. It all adds up in the end, and I'm fine with that. So, having said that, let's talk best picks of the draft, guys. Who did you you could just tout, say, hey, look at me. I made the best pick of the draft, and it's not even close. I got a steal, or I got a tremendous value. This was the pick that I'm going to tell everybody about, and I'm going to put it on my tombstone. Mock draft 2020. This is what I did. This defines my life, really. Matt, what do you got? <laughs> For for myself or just yeah. anybody, or, or you could. We'd like to hear yours, but if you see someone else that you're so impressed by, please, by all means, share. Uh, the one I actually like quite a bit that he was performing down the stretch, and like I said, first base is really, um, is really shallow. Like also, as far as people that can legitimately take a step to the top, I did like getting Reese Hoskins. As late as I did, I took him and Hunter Dozier back-to-back. I think that those are two guys that could vastly outperform. But uh, one guy I really wanted to get that you actually took, uh, Mike, was Josh Bell. You ended up taking him a pick after Dylan Moore um, (laughs) in the the 13th round. Bell was really starting – if you look at his – you know, if you look at his month splits, he was really starting to come out of it. And he's he's a very good hitter. (laughs) So I think he's one of those guys that I would love to throw out the 60 games. And I think that, you know, um, he went like right before Christian Walker and Ryan Mountcastle. It's like – it. If he doesn't work out, you haven't lost a much, you know, haven't lost much, uh, but he could really, really be a great value. So I, I, you know, there's plenty of good picks in this draft, but Josh Bell kind of stood out to me as he was someone I was looking to try to grab late, and I think that was a great spot. Wow, thank you, man. I appreciate that. That was not an auto pick. That was a real selection for the record. Uh, I had a couple auto pick issues in this draft that we won't cover. Carm. I know you loved your draft, and you might love other people's drafts. So, by the way, in that 13th round, you know, Gavin Lux went with a pick before me. Deegs with a nice pick. That could be good value. Gavin Lux has a lot to offer. And Heath Caps took Giancarlo Stanton in round 13. If he's healthy, that could be a huge boom for him as well. What do you think, Carm? Yeah, that, that Giancarlo pick in round 13, huge. Considering that Judge and Jordan Alvarez went, I think, in the fifth back-to-back. Getting Giancarlo so late is incredible. Uh, my personal favorite pick, I mean, Starling Marte in the fifth round is basically a cheat code at this point. I mean, he's going to provide a great average, great runs, solid steals. He is getting older, obviously. But last year, he was going in the third round, maybe even the end of the second in 15-team drafts. I mean, that's a huge steal. I also really liked Whit Merrifield in the fifth. I know that he's really boring, and some people probably disagree, but he always puts up at least... 675 plate appearances with stolen bases with the average his power was very evident this year I think that could be that could also be a great pick and then Paul Goldschmidt in the seventh he's going to get at least 650 plate appearances batting second most likely in that Cardinals lineup he'll put up 30 plus bombs decent average the steals are gone obviously but first base isn't that deep I mean getting Goldie in the seventh just a few picks before I took Rizzo I think that's a great pick Matt, you want to comment on that Merrifield pick? Because I know you love to talk about wit. No, um, it, it's <laughs> fine. I I still won't be drafting him for the same reason last year. 60-game set, it, it's kind of everything I didn't like about him was still there. All the peripherals are, are pointing in the wrong direction. He did steal more, which is the, the thing. Like, he stopped stealing the year before. He still is getting slower, though, still getting older. The batting average is getting worse. Uh, but – where you're taking him, especially at second base, where there's really just DJ LeMahieu, Ozzy Albies, and a cloud of 
confusion. Uh, I don't have a problem with it. He won't be on my teams, but I'm not going to hate on it. I do think the Starling, I agree the Starling Marte is a steal. I think there was an anomaly in this draft, though. I don't know what everyone was thinking. I didn't get him because I was on the turn and I was kind of pot committed to going double starting pitching at the fourth and fifth. Uh, I don't know how he made it that far. I mean, I, I strongly considered taking him, even though I really was forced to take two pitchers where I was, but I think that we're probably going to have him. That's probably the latest he'll go in any mock draft in the industry. So that is, I think definitely the big standout, but I didn't mention it only because I don't think it's ever going to happen again. By the way, cloud of confusion was Matt's alt rock band when he was in high school. So, if you're wondering, tremendous. <laughs> Luis, like in the third, Luis Robert. I mean, no, no offense to the Luis Robert pick, but like I love Kyle Tucker, but Luis Robert there too. I, I think Starling Marte is probably should be going in front of them. I definitely would take Marte in front of Aloy. Like, you know, just stolen bases are such a big deal. Um, yeah. that, you know, I just, there's no, there's no way he goes in the fifth in, the, in a normal draft. There's no way. You're right. You're right about that. Uh, let's get to Paul's thoughts. Uh, I will say, Starling Marte's option was picked up yesterday by the Marlins, $12.5 million option. I was pretty sure since they traded Caleb Smith for him, they were going to pick it up, and they sure did. Paul, best picks of your own or anybody else that you loved in this draft? Yeah, um, I think like for me, um, my draft was kind of a take on guys who I think fell more than they were supposed to from last year. Like I took J.D. Martinez in the seventh, like, he was a second round pick last year. Obviously, this year was horrible, but if he can return anything to half of what he was before, I think that, you know, getting him that late is a steal. I think we have some similar things with like Joey Gallo fell probably a couple rounds more than, you know, I would have expected him to. Cause again, we, we kind of knew that this was a potential, you know, this was what the season could look like for him. Um, we didn't really expect Gallo to come out and hit. 300 we we knew he could have hit you know 150 or he could have hit, did what he did again and i think he really didn't show anything much different so i think getting him in the 11th was pretty good you know mike moustakis is another guy that fell to the 12th michael brantley i think is another kind of boring guy who we perpetually underrate because it's hard to find his average floor that late in a draft um so i think for me that was the big thing but i think the uh another kind of theme is where these injured pitchers were going right um sale went in round 16 uh where's i just saw him before where did um soroka went at 13 soroka went in 13 you know strasburg went in nine but uh, i was looking for Se- uh, uh sever uh yeah sevy um he was oh, towards yeah. the end of the, he was towards the end of the draft too like these guys i think went went later than they should have round or, 20 round 23 to Lou. Yeah, there it is i just found him as you said that so i think those guys are going a lot later than they'll probably go three months from now but i think if you're drafting early because you're like us and obsessed with it you can get some steals with some insane upside on those late round pitchers that are hurt Syndergaard in the 20th you know stuff like that paul how do you feel about jd martinez at 80th overall i mean that's a massive value drop from the 2020 adp where he was like top 20 top 30 max yeah i mean like that that's what i'm kind of saying i think that he he fell more than i think he probably does um but again it's it's taking a lot of uh stock and thinking that you know his inability to watch video and stuff like that all the things that he complained about are really actually a huge part of his game i think that in that round the upside on him is insane where yeah before i was never really a huge fan of taking him as early as he used to go because like matt's been saying no steals nothing really like that but i think in the seventh round i can definitely afford to to take a no steal bet 
Understood. Uh, real quick, I mean, I, I cannot argue where you took him because that was, that's beautiful. You can afford the risk. If he was going even two rounds earlier, like if just devout, like how do you actually believe in JD Martinez as far as your actual confidence level in him? Just in 2019, he actually started the, the signs were there that he started to peel off. People chose to ignore him. And then you go into 2020, and there's plenty of other reasons, like you said, the tape that he could have performed bad. But if you take the warning signs of 2019 and combine them with 2020, you could definitely see a guy whose career just might be, you know, poof, gone. Um, so how early would you – like, is that the, your line for him? Like, would you consider taking him any earlier, or do you, is that your kind of the line you draw? That is kind of, I think, the line I draw. And I also think the way that I drafted the team and what the way I was focusing on drafting the team was kind of conducive to him. Um, one thing that I kind of was trying to do with this with this uh, roster was try to draft a little bit more average than I tend to, um, and I think that he's one of the guys that has you know a high average upside. So that's kind of why I wanted Rendon where I did, and <clears throat> so I I wanted to. I don't think I take him much earlier than where I took him. Eh. I think that there's a lot of hitters with more upside than him, uh, more all around upside, but I I don't think there's quite as many guys in this point that can hit, you know. What three twenty five, three thirty? Like he potentially could. Oof, yeah. Oh, by, by the way, the uh, steal of the draft was James Karinchak by me, as I see the Indians have uh, placed hand on waivers and are declining his option. Wow. Yay! So I just put the best closer in baseball in around uh, fourteen. That's funny because you never draft closers, but it worked out for you with this pick. Well, I, I mean, Devin, in I the draft, Devin. he still didn't draft closers, but I one Devin, worked out. I drafted Devin Williams and James Krinchak back to back. Yeah, no closers. <laughs> and still then, hold, still hold for that did, hater trade, huh? And then I drafted Jordan Hicks. <laughs> oh, interesting. And maybe by midseason, all three could be studly closers. It's very possible. I'll tell you this, though. When you listen to the Roto Fanatic podcast, we talk mock drafts. We talk postseason. We talk it all. Go to Twitter and follow us at Roto underscore Fanatic. We got Paul Mamino, Carm Arano, Matt Williams here. Carm's got about 10 minutes left, and he's got to bounce. So let's give Carm some time to talk about picks that he reached for. Now, we all make mistakes. Nobody here is immune to the errors of reaching for a guy that we really don't have the hindsight yet to see it because, you know, we're we're not even into the offseason hardly. So we won't know if some of these picks were questionable, but sometimes you get that gut feeling like, yeah, that might have been a reach. Carm. What were some reaches for you? Were there other reaches that you looked around the draft and said, hey, man, that guy reached? Yeah, absolutely. So my first reach, I think, this is probably going to strike some disagreement amongst you guys, but taking Seeger in the third, after I've really dove in on some hitter rankings, I'm you know, I'm still concerned that Seeger won't get more than 625 plate appearances, even batting second, just because of his injury history. So when I look at that and the amount of the, I guess, the in-depth, shortstops that we have just so many you know 12 deep at least probably deeper that could go within the top you know 50 hitters you know I probably could have chosen a different shortstop or you know I probably wouldn't have gotten Seager in the fourth in the fifth round but maybe I could have gone a different route there but then the real reach I thought I had was Yohan Mankata I know that his COVID year is going to depress his value which is good news but even while trying not to factor that in too much, I still have him as around my 75th best hitter for next year. And I think I took him like pretty early. I definitely could have waited a few rounds, gone a different direction there. But, but then the um, 
the one reach that, you know, probably going to spend most amount of our time talking about before we all have to um, leave here is the Dansby Swanson at 7.12. I mean, that just seems high. Matt, let's talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually um, waiting and thrilled to get Dansby where I was. Not only did I take him, I I was uh, I was he was at the top of my queue and I was just hoping he would make it to me. Um, Shortstop is not actually as comfortably deep as I think people portray it out to be. I actually had no problem with where you took Seager. My only issue is, like I said, I feel boxed in at the, at the turn early on because I think you almost have to take value as it comes and I can't afford to reach. But at Swanson at seven, in my opinion, he was by far the best shortstop available. I do not believe in Baez. I think that he's one of those guys that I never liked his – uh, play discipline metrics, and he's getting older. They're harder to overcome. He needs to kind of stop stealing. Carlos Correa, uh, as much as I liked him and he looked great in the playoffs, he's still, um, you know, very, very injury prone. I want to go that direction. I also took Yellick, pick one, who I don't know what I'd get out of him, and the stolen bases are far from certain. Then I took Freddie Freeman, Alex Bregman, and three starting pitchers. I needed stolen bases. And I love to go the death by a thousand paper cuts approach. And Dansby Swanson was kind of the last comfortable shortstop left where you can get steals, like for sure, uh, from a from a uh, a source that may not be a drag somewhere else. Another thing is Swanson in 2019, before his heel injury, looked fantastic. I mean, and he had his career best line drive percentage. And he was 11th, the 11th best line drive percentage in all of Major League Baseball, which he kind of carried over to last year. Uh, career low ground ball percentage, 88th percent in this in a uh, speed percentile, uh, career best barrel percentage in 2019, which he actually increased in the small sample size. Last year, he went up from 7.7 in 2019 to 11.4. So even though what we saw was a pace that would probably put him on, I think what I, pre- I predicted for him last year was for him to go uh, 254 with 20 home runs, or it was 270 with 25 home runs and 10 stolen bases. He pretty much ended at about a 25 home runish pace, uh, maybe about 15 steals. And I think that's the kind of player he is. He's going to be on a really great offense still. And so I think no matter what, I'm comfortable taking more I did. But for uh, personally, for just the way I was making up my team, uh, at that point, I just needed to grab my guys. And I wasn't happy with the rest of the shortstops. I needed to start banking some stolen bases in my death by a thousand paper cuts approach. So I couldn't afford to take guys like Glaber Torres or anything if they fell. So I took Dansby Swanson and Jeff McNeil back to back, took a little bit of average, took some power, took some speed, a little bit of speed. Dansby Swanson, obviously a little bit of more, but I love Dansby Swanson. I think he actually could get better. The line drive rate is actually the main thing. The, he can be a high BABIP guy. He's high high line drive rate, high speed. So I think that he can be a high Babbitt guy with power and speed. And, uh, you know, I just love Dan's response. Worked out great for Brian Reynolds last season. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, well, he is not as uh, as prolific in either area. But, yeah, that shocked me. He would be a uh, someone I'd definitely target this year as well. Matt, are you concerned at all? Because um, I actually owned Swanson in a few places because I liked him late, that a lot of the production came early. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, are you concerned about that at all? No, I, I don't. It's 60 game series. I, yeah. I, I just look at the line drive rate was still there. And other than that, there's not really a ton that I care about because the, uh, what he did early was fluky 
in terms of the pace he was on. But uh, over, if you actually look what he did over the 60 games, there's nothing that was like a red flag to me. Um, like there's certain things, like you said, I'm writing off Javier Baez, but that's kind of like a downward slope that he was kind of already on. So there's just, there's certain players where like I took Ramon Laureano later, almost the same reason I'm kind of writing off 2020. He had an injury. He had a weird thing where, you know, he had that disciplinary for going after that other coach. It was just a weird year for him. So again, power speed guys are hard to get late. So that's why I took him later, but yeah, nothing really concerns me as far as the, as far as like you said, the, like kind of the, uh, the, the top heavy or whatever the, <laughs> where he, where he got his production. Um, so Matt, Yes. Let's do over under. Over under Dansby Swanson, 600 plate appearances. Uh, Jesus. I mean, I don't know, right around there. <laughs> uh, I, I would say, I would say over. Okay. I'm, I, you know, if they, if they resign Ozuna or if they sign someone in place of him, the, I think the highest Swanson will be in the lineup is fifth, which really mitigates his upside. Obviously, that's a great lineup to be in, but regardless, he might not get the counting stats that you're really hoping for, batting you know, in the middle of the order rather than on a worse team, he'd probably bat like second. I mean, he would have ended up this year with the pace he was on. He would have ended up with 600, right? It was uh, 264. So he would have, he would have, he would have been right around there. I, I agree. I mean, I, I think 600 is a good number. I am a little concerned about the injury history. Um, Baez is going to bat higher in the lineup, almost no doubt. I think that if it wasn't a 60-game season this year, we still would have seen him up in the order trying to work out his kinks. Um, I could obviously see Swanson having a higher average, but I'm, you know, I, I'm very confident that Baez is going to have, you know, thir- you know, around 30 homers, whereas Swanson, I think, falls short of that. I think 25 is kind of where he is. I just feel, um, I feel marking him down for like a 270, 25, 10 to 15 is. I, I kind of feel like I can put that in the bank. Whereas Baez, I'm not so sure. <laughs> like he, he, if I had to, I do this every year and I'm typically always wrong, but Javier Baez is a guy where I could see drafting him and hardly wanting to start him by June. Yeah. I mean, obviously he's high variance, but at the same time, he's still relatively in his prime. I could still, I could see him putting up a 30 homer, you know, maybe not double digit steals, but somewhere between five and 10. And, you know, if he gets on the right side of the BABIP, he could hit, you know, 265. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, they were uh, they, he was picked right after here. Uh, for my team, I kind of needed um, to put stolen bases in the bank. Um, like I said, I was going by the death by a thousand paper guts thing, so that's I kind of needed to go that direction. So for me, Swanson made more sense for my team. Um, I would, you know, I I wouldn't argue with anyone taking obviously Baez over him. For me, Swanson made more sense for the team I was building. Okay. Okay. The only thing I was going to argue was I don't know if you can conceivably say that Baez hits higher in an order than Swanson does. I think Hap still leads off Rizzo, Contreras. I mean, we're going to the same point. Baez hits five at best, right? Unless he you turns make a out good to point. be. I mean, I, you know, I just think they trust Javi, and I think <laughs> at least one of those guys is going to be traded this offseason. Yeah, there's a mess, and there's yeah. a storm of brewing there. Reality check's coming. Uh, yeah, and, and it, also talent, team talent around him, though. So the, the Atlanta lineup is significantly better than that. Cubs the lineup. Angels, yeah, the Angels interviewed uh, the Cubs GM too, right, Carm? Yesterday, they, uh, yeah, they yeah. Permission. I don't know all the details about that, but yeah, they did. Um, what I do know about the Cubs is they love going righty or righty lefty righty. So you know, if if they're back to KB leading off, 
Rizzo number Rizzo hits oh, two. No. <laughs> or actually, well, if Hap, Hap might lead off, I mean, who knows? You know, it's up yeah. in the air, but I think there's a better chance of Bias hitting in the upper third than Swanson. Uh, okay, Carm's got to leave us because he's got a life to live, but we're going to stick on for a little bit longer. Carm, any parting thoughts as we say adieu to you? My final thought is Mike Miner went really late. And I'm surprised at that. I think if he signs with the right team, I think we're going to see him back around 250 or even earlier than that range. I think it's hard to it's hard to draft a pitcher that doesn't have a team, though. True. It's kind of like SCL Puig, except we know that Minor will get signed. Nobody's that's not a requirement. A team, come on. You just you know, if you got talent, they'll find hey, you, right? Hey, uh, Karma is. I know you're a Cubs fan. I know you got to leave, but real quick, Javier Baez, just because uh, how confident you are in him turning around. Let's just. Put on the devil's advocate hat for a second. Let's just say maybe he doesn't figure it out. Would you be that shocked if Ian Happ almost ends up being a close to even value with him? Absolutely not. I could see. I could absolutely see Happ putting up a very similar line as Baez. Um, they do have. I would say they have the relatively the same floor, mm-hmm. but Baez, I would say, has a higher ceiling. Yeah, um, I agree. Because uh, he only stole one base last year, Hap, but he he's in 27, 2018, he stole eight, so he has it in there. He, uh, so he's just an interesting guy there on the same. Yeah, team. yeah. I mean, that's definitely up for further debate. We should definitely discuss that later this offseason. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us, Carm. Uh, yeah. Carm, tell people where they See can you find around. you in the offseason before you leave. Thanks for listening, all. Okay. Well, you can find him at Carm's Clubhouse on Twitter, and he'll be jamming with offseason chatter and fantasy focus so now it's three and then there were three me matt and paul right here on the road fanatic podcast talking mock draft let's uh talk value picks um anything we didn't cover here i thought it was interesting uh, you already mentioned it early matt that you got bregman at 312 that was a great move Marte too low in the fifth we all agree um uh, the fact that giancarlo went so low and judge is so high. Is there really a big difference? Do you guys think there's a big difference between judge and Stanton? Is it a night and day difference? I think there's a better chance judge stays healthy than Stanton does. Really? That's just my, I I don't think you can bet on either of them to stay healthy, but I think there's a better (laughs) shot that judge stays healthy. Stanton seems um, unhealthy in a way that makes sense where judge is unhealthy in more of a cosmic cursed way. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so I'm, if you had to make if yeah if you had to bet judge his injuries don't seem to be in any way connected and he seems cursed almost the way aj pollock used to be well, i mean like, he's cursed like early career stanton was too right stanton had like the he got hit in the face judge yes. got hit in the wrist and broke his like they have similar kind of early career fates but i also think there's a big difference in the fact that judge will swipe a couple bags where i don't really think stanton's gonna ever do that I, I refuse to take injury-prone power hitters because power is so easy to find, especially if you're in a – I mean, if you're in a daily league, it's a joke because you can really stream uh, and find power just through some decent matchups. But if you're going to – if you, if you are going to invest a top pick, um, where Stanton win, that's fine. You can try to ride the wave and hopefully you luck out. Um, you know, he, you know, he puts together MVP seasons. He just does Aaron judge. Who's capable of it. You're drafting him so early. If he, if he shies away, you're kind of screwed. So yeah, just no reason to take injury prone guys that don't offer you speed early. There's just, there's no reason to do it. I also, uh, think and kind of, I started realizing when I took JD Martinez as my first outfielder outfield is kind of deeper than I remember it being in recent years. 
Um, and there's kind of a lot of guys that I'm okay with taking further down. Whereas I don't think you need to push the judge, even like a Jordan Alvarez early where they went. If that's the case, powers, we can find power. Eloy Jimenez, 27 overall. Is that too high? I mean, he was going 50 in 60s last year on average. And now he's up to top 30. That seems like a little bit of a too early price for me to pay for a guy who's going to hit for power. But what else does he bring to the table? I don't know why this guy's popping into my mind as my example, just because we were talking about how deep outfield is. But in the 16th round, Anthony Santander went. And I'm not trying to call him Eloy Jimenez. Right. Uh, but he's going to give you uh, a modest average and, like, some decent power uh, for just how many rounds later? Like 10? No, no, like, no, no, 13 rounds later. Uh, yep. Randall Grichek, uh two rounds later, he's going to – give you uh you know similar kind of you know power it's just power if you're just looking for power get it later i'm not, i'm just not drafting i i was very against i as a, i love uh pete alonzo was very against him last year like a lot of people were this year it's a little more palatable but this year again luke voigt pass it's just you know if you're just looking for power there's easier ways to get it like um was it uh paul you drafted joey gallo real late right yeah i mean i think i got him in I got him in the 11th round. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, yeah. why, am I, why am I drafting uh, Luke Voigt or Aloy Jimenez where you can get Joey Gallo in the 11th? It's just take late. Late power, fantastic. No, Jonathan, I mean, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Paul. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, like, just looking over the board, like, yeah, there's a lot of questions with him. But um, is Eloy Jimenez, if everything is okay, is, is Eloy Jimenez that different than, like, Trey Mancini, right? Trey Mancini hit, what, like 25 to 30 home runs every year? Eloy probably has a higher ceiling. But Mancini hits for a decent enough average and has a decent amount of power, and you're getting him in the 17th round. Um, so yeah, I think that I kind of agree with you, Matt. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of power that you can find later in drafts. Is it? I know we just talked about this, but it's back in my head now. Is it possible that Chris Bryant, who was taken at pick 134 overall, dropping tremendously again, a good 50, 60 picks from last year's ADP? Is it possible that Chris Bryant could be better and getting him in the 130s is a steal? Or is that just his new world? Is that where we're just going to be drafting Chris Bryant from now on? You know, I, I would I want to say the safe thing to say is that he could easily outperform it, which he could. But look what happened to Evan Longoria, who he still has his place in certain leagues. Mm. Sometimes injuries and everything just like just turn you into a pumpkin. And maybe that's where he is. Uh, I would, I do want to say it's still probably a good value where he's going, but you got guys like Josh Donaldson going three rounds later. You got Brian Anderson going five rounds later. I'm still not touching jo uh, Chris Bryant uh, at the, in the 12th round. Yeah. I mean, I've always been kind of out on Chris Bryant because I thought his price was a little bit more than it needed to be. So I guess I haven't like fully dove into him because I never had interest in him. But, yeah, I mean, I'd rather take a chance that Donaldson is still Donaldson. And uh, even, like, I mean, if, if the Dodgers end up re-signing Justin Turner, like, Justin Turner is a good hitter. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there's a notable difference with Chris Bryant, so I don't think he really becomes a steal at his price. He'll probably <laughs> return value, but I don't think he's necessarily a steal. Kyle Seeger went in the 23rd. I was going to say him, but but I thought we're getting a little too uh, – people get too upset if I compare Chris Bryant to Kyle Seeger. Yeah, you ain't even mad. You don't got to compare him. It's 12th round versus 23. It's just yeah. take someone else, you know? <laughs> yeah. Se I mean, Seeger was really good this year too. 
and I don't he think was. He, I'm not, he yeah, I think he's going to do that again. He actually yeah. stole some bases, but I think yeah. it's like, like Marcelo Zuna's 2019, I think they are here and gone. <laughs> yeah, but I'll take flyer on Seager in round 23. That's fine. That's no big yeah. deal. No big loss. Uh, what about this guy? I know this is a guy that Matt liked a lot last year, I believe. Uh, Matt Chapman, he had the hip surgery. It kind of ruined his season. Roto Nino, our buddy George Montanez, took him at pick 97 overall. He feels basically confident that Matt Chapman will be Matt Chapman and there will be no lingering issues. Is there a concern for either one of you with Matt Chapman's hip or is this going to be something he heals from and we could just move forward and have a prime of his career? I don't think I'm concerned about his hip. I'm just, I just don't think he's, I don't think his fantasy value is uh, commensurate with the name, right? I think he plays a ton. He's got good power, but he's not hit for good averages whatsoever. He doesn't steal bases. And I think that, like we've been kind of talking about already, third base is a lot deeper than it's been historically. So I don't have concerns about his hip. I think he's going to be fine. I just have concerns that he's going to be, he's going to be a, a player I'd want at his ADP. Yeah, I, I I love Matt Chapman. I'm I'm where he went though. Just looking at the board as it stood, I'm not sure he's worth taking thirty or some odd picks before Mike Mustakis, who I think in Cincinnati will probably bounce back and be more of what we expected this year. Again, this 60 game sample size being thrown out. You already mentioned the other guys before like Justin Turner and there's, it's, it's pretty deep. So um, for a guy that possibly has a hip problem, it just seems unnecessary to take him there. I I won't hate on it. That's probably where he's going to be taken. Uh, But if that's the case, I probably won't have many shares. Would you rather have uh, Jake Cronenworth? Or Marcus Simeon. Matt, you took Drake Cronenworth at 133 overall. And I know you already had a shortstop, so that's not maybe a fair comparison. But Marcus Simeon goes at 144 at the end of round 12. I don't believe in Marcus Simeon at all. Uh, uh, we'll, see if, we'll see if the A's do. I don't know if they even give him a qualifying offer. I'd say they, they have a strong interest from what I've read. Now, I can't prove that, but there was at least outwardly a strong interest in having him back. I would say that if they offer him a qualifying offer, he probably just takes it. Um, I, in that spot, was also – I took Ramon Laureano and Jake Cronenworth back-to-back. Uh, back. Again, death by a 1,000 paper cuts. I thought that position eligibility – I didn't take Jake Cronenworth to be a shortstop. I took him to play everywhere and give me some power and give me some speed. Um, I thought Cronenworth was going to go way too high for me, but in that particular instance where I was kind of hunting down – um, position eligibility and some stolen bases. There really wasn't that much hitters that went around there. Or your was McCutcheon, Brantley, Stanton, Kalenic, uh, Kyle Schwarber, uh, Ian Happ, Chris Frazier. I mean, there wasn't a lot of speed kind of available. So, um, and he can give you a decent average and some decent power. So, for again, for me, it made sense. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just a matter of team need. I think Cronenworth's going to go. I, I think his price here was fine, but I think a lot of people are going to uh, overdraft him because he kind of saved some teams early on when he started. But <clears throat> I don't know. I just don't. I don't think I really want to mess with that situation. I don't know if he's going to be an everyday starter next year. If he um, were any earlier, I wouldn't have taken him. This was- no, no, for sure. I, I think again, like I said, I think the price is relatively fine. Um, you made the decision between him and you know another waiver wire favorite and Dylan Moore, like. I think that's the more interesting one, right? Which one do you believe in more? And I guess I think that Cronenworth has more uh, potential to hold it. I I don't like Dylan Moore. I don't like guys who seem to be feasting on fastballs like he kind of did last year. And I think teams will eventually adjust. But 
Yeah, I, I can answer for Matt. I know how he feels about Dylan Moore. So <laughs> I've heard it plenty of times. It, it, it can't hit breaking stuff. It's a sixty-game sample size, yeah. and if throwing breaking, it could fall apart so much. It could. Again, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand taking Dylan Moore where you're taking him because like, we all the guys we're talking about steals. There's just some, uh, steals are steals. steals cost so much. I yes, I, I will. Um, I'm a big fan of kind of looking over that round of guys that were taken like. Um, I, I still think we're overdrafting Gavin Lux. Um, but that's mm. a, that's a, besides the point. The Dodgers don't want to, don't seem like they want to play him. Um, but like, I, I like this Dylan Carlson price at in the 13th round. I think that he was pretty bad early on, and a lot of people didn't quite realize how good he was. But he was hitting what, like fourth for the, the Cardinals towards the end of the regular but he season? He got and, called back up, he turned it on. He was yeah, brief. Yep. And I and I think that that's kind of uh if if he's gonna be at that price, that's definitely a guy I'm gonna I, I passed on him for Brantley, but I'm gonna be taking him in a lot of drafts because there is a lot of power speed threat there. Let me say something real quick about Dylan Moore. So Ben Wilson took Dylan Moore at pick 149 round 13. I got Nick Solak at pick 172 in round 15. I would much rather have Nick Solak. This is a message for everybody. Solak over more all day long. Solak over Lux, in my opinion. I think Solak, they, the Rangers were one of the most run-heavy, like, steal attempt teams in all of baseball. And if Solak's going to be playing because he played all this season, it looks like there's not going to be a problem with playing time. So just remember that. Well, here's the thing. Stolen bases are, are expensive, we, we, we've said. And we talked about where everyone, Dylan Moore, went in what round? Round 13. All right, I took Jake Cronenworth, who was not actually – the, my favorite shortstop I drafted on the Padres because in the 19th, I took jerks and Profar. Yeah. Who, who at, for some reason, again, everyone was so in love with him after, you know, like 2018 season. And in 2019, he still had 20 home runs, nine stolen bases last year in only 200, 202 plate appearances, seven home runs, seven stolen bases, batted 278. He still has a place on the team. Where, I, where is that place on the team? I think he outperformed. I think he performed his way into being in the lineup, though. But but where? Who did? Who did? So the the positions that he takes away, right? He's taking away. If there's if there's a DH, then it's a little bit easier. But he's not playing over Fam Myers or um, Grisham. I will say that is an important part. Uh, to yeah. I think the DH will come in. I think it's silly. We all know it's going to be forced yeah. into the next collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. I don't think they'll do this one-year thing. So I, I am drafting based upon there being a DH. Yeah, yeah. and, and I think that's that. yeah, you, With no DH, you definitely have a point. Uh, but with a DH, I don't think there's an issue. I, I, I could see them going after a, another – like going after an outfield bat. That's better than him. And, well, yeah, uh, that would, that George would, Springer. Oh my! Well, well, two things. One, that would screw my plans. But yes. two, I took him in the nineteenth round. No, for sure. So if this works out, fantastic. Um, so I mean, you know, it's just it's a you know whatever. It's a risk, but it is what it is. They, they sent him, they him. sent him down, and he came back and was on fire, right? Or did they never send him down? They no, just he was him. he was there. He remember he was in the cleanup spot opening day, and people were like, what? Yeah. They love him. They clearly have like a affinity for him. They because they jammed him up our asses because he was terrible. His his two seventy eight is a miracle because he went all the way down to like one eighty and had to go yeah. all the way back up to end there. I had him personally on my own TGFBI team. I drafted him and I remember watching like, oh, I got this guy. He's gonna give me steals, but he killed me and everything else until like the last six weeks. Um, the only other person I mentioned profile, I didn't draft this one. We're talking about steals being expensive that I totally didn't understand how lady went 
is uh, if I, my my brain starts working again is Manuel Margot. Okay, so I wanted to talk about Margot, but I was going to bring up uh, Rosa Reina to talk about it too. But oh. I don't understand why Margot is goes slow. He he showed power this postseason like that he hasn't showed before consistently and he stole 12 bags last year 15 whatever he stole Margot is not somebody i'm interested in drafting but if it, those steals the steals are there the steals are totally legit but you know the rays with their platoons it could be really annoying to get consistency and that's where the concern comes in for me but i i think that i mean again even if he wasn't playing every single day he stole double digit bases for you this season so i think that they're going to find a way to play him enough yeah they had some injuries in the outfield but I don't think he's I think he's just as good defensively. I don't have the numbers in front of me as Kiermeyer. And I think that I know they like the lefty righty, but I don't see there's a reason why they don't keep playing Manny Margot. And he went nineteenth the nineteenth yes. round. Yeah, part part of my thing, and I think I said it in our group, was like I was really excited about what he was doing this postseason. You know, Rose Rain is gonna get all the all the talk, but I almost wanted to see where other people viewed him. Um, so I didn't want to push a price to see what was going to happen. But I mean, if he's going to go in the 19th round, I'm taking that all day. I'll take him in the 17th round at that point. I don't care. 16th. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, hmm. you know, we're going to slowly wrap up the show here. You've been listening to the Rona fanatic podcast, talking about the mock draft. Uh, let's do some final thoughts. The overvalued, you mentioned a Rose arena. The value is skyrocketing as uh, it says right here on our document. <laughs> I, I'm not paying for, there's no way. I, I'm out. There's no way I will draft Randy or Rosarina in any league. And I really, really liked him where he was before this explosive postseason. And now I'm screwed because I'm not paying a price of top 80 or who knows what people are going to do. People are crazy. So he went in the 10th for us, which I think is fine. Um, but that that's we also got through that before. Um, yeah, actually, I don't know exactly where the we World were. Series. Yeah, the World for the Series, World Series. Basically. Um, and yeah, he wasn't as electric in the world series as he was earlier on, but I think that the price is, is reasonable, but I don't think I would just, I can justify taking him over just the guys going in the next round. Soler, Gallo, even Mike Yastrzemski, who's really good. Like I, I just don't see there being a significant amount of room for that price to grow. If it falls a little bit later than what we were doing, then fine. But I, I don't think I want to buy the hot postseason. Uh, one guy I want to talk about as far as being too drafted too early is Trent Grisham. Uh, he's taken in the sixth round right after Jordan Alvarez, after Aaron Judge, before Austin Meadows. I mean, he batted 250 with 10 home runs and 10 stolen bases. I, I don't. There's so much room for that to go badly that I just feel like the sixth round – is too early. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I could see him performing. Um, you know, I, I could see the batting average going down. Uh, like I said, I, I, I took someone, I took like Ramon Laureano and like what the, the, uh, the 11th, like yeah. I, I, I you cannot argue. I, I can't see a real argument where you can tell me for sure that Grisham's definitely going to be better than Laureano to make up like a five, six round difference. And I don't dislike Grisham. It's no. just that seems awfully, too early for a guy like that. I mean, when you have guys like, I mean, you you have guys like we, we've been talking about the entire time. It's just like, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want Byron Buxton on my team, but in round 10, I'd rather go there. I, but again, I'd rather just wait 
even later for some of the other guys we talked about. I mean, what do you guys think about Grisham? It Look, just Grisham like- is a, not a Roto guy for me. That's way too high for Roto. If it's OBP points leagues, we're talking because he's an on-base guy, and I don't believe in the average. I'm completely with you there, Matt. I would, I would not be taking Grisham in the top 100 in Roto. I'm pretty clear on that. I think that the upside is immense, but yeah, like you're saying, there's not a lot of the the floor is what Ramon Laureano did last year. I don't I don't think they're a massively different player type. Uh, Grisham's probably a little bit more patient, a little bit more play discipline and stuff like that. But I I don't really see a huge reason for him to go that early. But I think that in every single draft, there's going to be a believer. There always is, isn't there? That bothers me. I love Grisham's talent, I do. But I think it's important to know what type of league you're playing in, and you have to draft accordingly to your cats. Like here, what, that- what would you guys expect, real quick? Just tr- uh, slash line, uh, you know, home uh, uh, average uh, home runs, stolen bases. What What do you expect out of Grisham this year? If you just had to guess, I mean, two. What did he hit last year? He hit two sixty. So let's call it two sixty five, two seventy with twenty five, twenty maybe. Yeah, if he yeah. plays every day. He hit 251. Okay. All right. So let's go 260. I think there's a little bit of room for growth. And then, you know, 25-20 range, 20-20 range. Yeah, that's – um, and, well, he, and he's in the outfield, right? Yeah. That's – Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know why anyone's going to piss on Dansby Swanson being picked, like, you know, 12 picks later when I would consider Swanson a much safer pick um, and uh, at, a short, at a position I'd much rather have him playing at. So they – uh. They went around apart pretty much. Would you rather Grisham or uh, Tay Oscar? Going off two guys that had oh kind of the same boy. breakout. Uh, I'd rather have Grisham. Um, I'd rather have T. Oscar where he went. Of the two, I'd rather have Grisham. T. Oscar, I'm done. This the speed's always been there. That's the thing I always yelled at it because the sprint speed was there. He showed it in the minors. I hope it's real, but a one game sample size, a one year sample size, sixty game sample size. I'm, I just, I just can't believe it. I, I, I like, would like to have Teoscar, but where they're going, I'm probably drafting neither. They went nine picks apart. Grisham goes 70, Teoscar goes 79, and I would rather have Teoscar. I would clear in Roto, I really would. Yeah, I think there's more um, average potential yes. with Teoscar. Um, and and I he's a little ahead of the game, too. He's 27 ish. Yeah. 20, yeah. yeah. And I think that the other thing for him is I think there's a lesser chance that he gets dropped in that batting order where i think the padres if and i think we've talked about this in the past if grisham's not hitting lead off then he's going to hit like eight nine in that order um whereas i don't think there's that kind of downside for teoscar i think that blue jays lineup while it's really good at the top thins out pretty fast oh bo bichette though man bo bichette fantasies all off season long i'll tell you that uh this is the rough fanatic podcast rotofanatic.com is a website we have baseball we're going to be stepping our game up in the offseason too you're going to see more stuff that we will reveal to you soon better data more opportunities to learn and grow and experience what analytics are all about we're here to help you we're not here to be in your face we're just here to offer a service so that you can win your fantasy leagues in 2021 if we even have a season who the hell knows what's going to happen next year i am paranoid and i really want to get you guys quick thoughts on this are you guys starting to think or have you even thought about the fact that there'll be another short season in 2021? Or is that crazy talk? Am I just out to lunch? I mean, there's definitely a chance. There's there's still a chance that we don't have things. Well, I think we, we would have a better way for them to adjust if things aren't under control with COVID and things like that. But there's definitely a high lockout possibility. And I think that we're, we definitely have to have that in the back of our minds. And is it going to, I guess the question is, does it impact the way that you draft? And I don't think it, 
significantly changes the way that I draft, although it did this season, but I don't think we go down to 60 games again. I think if we get a lockout, it's more, you know, we lose 20, 30 games at most. So I don't think that's going to drastically change the way that I would draft. Yeah. Um, the so one thing is, do you, do you think we should, I wonder if we should more seriously plan for them uh, putting this into uh, the uh, the hubs again, East, Central, West. Yep. You know, that's one thing. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm wondering if they might try to do that to reduce the travel and everything. Uh, so uh, scheduling possibilities could be a, a bigger thing. And we all saw what a big deal that was with, you know, Darvish and Burns and Woodruff and uh, Bauer and everybody. I agree. I agree. There's a lot of things that are just completely unknown. And it, it's not fair for anybody to make assumptions or prognostications because we don't know for sure. But you do have a layout that we just saw. 2020 gave us a blueprint of, you know, the season was forced upon us by the commissioner and the players accepted it. And the the owners are poor and they're not ready to lose more money. And COVID's not going anywhere. So I'm not trying to be a downer if you're listening to this. I just want you guys to be prepared for all contingencies mm-hmm. as you prepare your leagues and you think about what you're going to do with each league going into this offseason. It's, it's important to do that. All we know for sure is that Drew Smiley is going to be a league winner. <laughs> I said Obviously. this. I said this to you guys before, but... Uh, going back to our talk, I ended up with five San Francisco Giants. And I don't know how I feel about it, but Drew Smiley, I took solely for Carm, and uh, I'm upset that he's not here for, to hear us talk about this. But I actually <laughs> do believe in Drew Smiley, but we've we've gone in way too much detail about that already. <laughs> uh, Justin Turner, by the way, if you guys want us to mention his name because he was hot news, he was taken in the 16th round. Uh, we don't know where he'll be next year, so that might be a stretch, to be honest with you. But if he is on a team then it might be good value. I guess that's the – have they talked about moving like Lux or Seager to third to fill that spot if they don't sign someone? Right. Is that, I, is that I, their I, Rios. Rios. I would love to see Edwin Rios get a chance, but I don't think he's going to. But Because that's, that's a pass to playing time for Lux. I don't, I almost, I don't see I, other ones. I almost took Rios with my last pick in this draft just to like talk about it. <laughs> Not a bad idea. I, I drafted him in uh, the TGFBI, and I loved it. It worked out well, man. Who did I, take my guy with a... I took Aaron Hicks. That's who I took with my last pick. That's a great move, too. Aaron Hicks, undervalued. Always prefer him more in OBP points, but still a good pick. I'll tell you what. Edwin Rios has a great bat. If they can find daily playing time for him, I, I think there's easily 30 home runs in that bat. I really do. But So just quickly looking at this last round, I mean, David Dahl fell all the way down to the 25th round. That's kind of crazy to me. Um not that I was ever really in on him, but it's hey. By the way, uh, Paul, that also yeah. happened in the other. Uh, you know, uh, Justin Mason does the two early mock draft. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That also happened. Dahl just fell and fell and fell, and I finally took him at like two forty eight, two fifty. So I think that that's kind of a um, that that could potentially be a function of you know draft rooms sorting by last year's numbers and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I mean, if he's going that late. I, I, Again, he's another guy that I kind of forgot about until I'm looking over this thing. Like, the upside is is very high with him, but he has had some just awful, awful injury luck. I was actually at the game in was that 2019 when he like snapped his ankle in center field. Like, mm. the guy just cannot stay healthy. But I mean, he's shown that he can hit decently well. You know, he's hit around 300 for most of his career. So that that it was price also the is, case. Yeah, it was also yeah. the case for Nick Senzel too. Uh, yes. Both those names were both names that fell late. Guys that could, could give you steals, 
that uh, have injury problems that people maybe are just annoyed by. And also, they didn't give you a lot of stats this season, so they were not high up in rankings if you didn't pre-rank your players. Yeah, I mean, Oscar Mercado is another guy, too. He went in the 24th round. Like, he was just brutal this year, but he was a, he was, what, a top eight-round pick probably last year? Or a top 100 and, pick? Yeah, and Jesus Aguilar went in 282, and he performed pretty well this year. And he's, is the, can we trust Jesus Aguilar in 2021 or? We don't know where he's going to play, so it's just like, boy, I'd rather just avoid that if I could. Because I, I think, think the value is tremendous. I think with first base, it's kind of one of those we don't really know where he's going to go kind of things, in my opinion. But I, I think he gave you everything you would have expected from him. He was, he was a solid corner infield type of player. But I think next year, they might give Lewin Diaz a shot, or they might just try to find someone else to play that position. Okay. All right. Well, I think that about does it. This has been the Road Fanatic Podcast. RoadFanatic.com. Check us out. We'll be writing articles, and we have a new article up from our own dear podcast partner, Car Mayorano, talking about injuries that happened, how players recovered in 2020, and how you can expect them to play and how you can predict injuries in 2021. It's a great article. Go to RoadFanatic.com. Check it out. Follow us at Road underscore Fanatic on Twitter. And, Matt, tell people where they can find you and what you'll be talking about all off season long. I'll be talking about whatever I feel like, like usual. Uh, there's going to be a lot of weird value. We talked about Brian Reynolds, a lot of confusing people, like whether or not you're going to ignore 2020 or not. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Williams, M-E-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S. And you could uh, probably uh, listen to me rant on how I wish the Tigers would trade Victor Reyes so we could become the fantasy superstar. I know he can be. Well, we need a manager first, but okay, we'll get on that next. All right. How about you, Paul? Tell people where they can find you. What's going on this offseason? Tell people how incredible you are, but you usually defer that to me, so maybe we'll spare that part. Yeah, like always, I'll defer that one to you, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pimamino Fantasy. Um, mainly, right now, I'm working on trying to develop some cool things that we're going to add to the site, hopefully, within the next couple months. Um, some leaderboards and some things like that that are a little bit more interactive. So, Right now, that's my main focus, and uh, I'm going to keep diving into pitching and probably write up a couple pitchers in the coming weeks. Yeah, and uh, we'll do some more mocks, I'm sure. Uh, we'll do some podcasts here and there. Stay tuned to our Twitter feed at Roto underscore Fanatic for the latest and what we're up to, and you can always check out the website, rotofanatic.com. And don't forget to follow Carm, our dearly departed Carm who left early, at Carm's Clubhouse. Carm's Clubhouse. So I'm Michael Govier. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the rotofanatic.com podcast. and listening to our mock stuff. Thanks also, oh, real quick, to the Rotoranks guys who also pitched in. We want to give them a big shout-out. Thanks, guys. It was a good time, and uh, we'll talk to you later. See ya.